It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back. It's your Friday Buckeye Talk, taking you through the weekend. Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird, and we are talking more about USC UCLA joining the Big Ten. We have a little more information, Nathan. We had a news conference at 8 a.m. on Friday morning with Ohio State President Dr. Christina M. Johnson. And Gene Smith, the athletic director, we had him for about half an hour. And I thought we got, I, I don't know that we learned anything new from that, Nathan. I think we got some confirmation of stuff. There is a little bit of a headline that people will want to talk about. It's worth talking about that Gene Smith said he pondered the idea of Ohio State going independent during the pandemic. He said it was more like an irrational thought in a moment of frustration and anger and lasted a couple minutes after, although we did talk about it with his boss. Um, But that was in response to me sort of looking to ask a wrap up question, which is something we talked about on the pod on Thursday, which was like, imagine the reverse of this man. Like imagine if Ohio state and Michigan were leaving for the PAC 12, like why aren't, why aren't we in that world? Why are we in this world? You know, did you ever think about that? And then he said, Oh, well, you know, no, we're solid. We're stable in the big 10. The only time I ever thought about anything was, in a flash of frustration and anger over not playing in the pandemic, thinking about going independent then. But that's really, it's kind of like a nice little side story. The main thing, Nathan, I think I took away was their idea is this was too good for the Big Ten to pass up. And that's the bottom line. USC and UCLA, other than geographically, it makes no sense geographically for how we think of conferences now. But in every other way, to them, it does make sense. And so you figure out the logistics and you take them and that's it. Yeah, you know, very early on in the press conference, Gene said something along the lines of, well, this wasn't a response to the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma, which I think is borderline disingenuous. I think I don't think what happens uh, this week happens without that happening. But I think what the conversations we had today did reinforce things that we talked about at the time, things that I was kind of saying as we were, you know, a lot of like, scenarios are flying around like what's the big 10 supposed to do in response and my point at the time being like well you can't just grab something it's gotta you have to do the most strategically um important or um the, the most strategic thing there has to be some some real thought behind it can't just be a reaction and what i heard today from both 
Gene Smith and Christine M. Johnson was this really entrenched belief that the Big Ten is right there. That, you know, from a competitive standpoint, the SEC is certainly, I think, ahead. But from a revenue standpoint, they're really neck and neck, right? Like after this next rights thing and after the SEC's next rights thing, those should probably both be in the same ballpark. And then everybody else is 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 well below. So the Big Ten is considered itself in a great situation. And then Gene, well, the way Gene Smith put it today was, you know, we're already strong and we just got stronger. And that they saw this not as, again, like just some grab or a a reactionary thing, but that um, they looked at it methodically and saw the ways that UCLA and USC were the teams that needed to come in, as opposed to all those names that got thrown out last year, Kansas, West Virginia, um, whoever you wanted to float. I do. I think the idea that this is not a response to Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC Obviously, it is in some ways, but I do think so. Here's the thing. The Big Ten kind of started this, right? Kind of with Penn State in 93 and then with Nebraska a decade ago, sort of kicked off this latest round. And they just did that because they wanted to do that. A decade ago, decade plus now, when they went and got Nebraska, I don't think they would have gone to try to get UCLA and USC because it would have been like, what? California. That's crazy. And the further we get into this, that's become less and less and less crazy. So we stop thinking geographically. And once you don't think geographically anymore, which they kind of already did with Rutgers and Maryland, now you're open to anything. And then if you get there, I could envision a world where they, if USC and US, UCLA called the Big Ten and they started it, and Texas and Oklahoma had never happened. I could see, still see the Big Ten saying yes to this. Like, oh, we just think about expansion differently now. And we like the market. We like what you're going to bring from a TV revenue standpoint. The, the share of the pie is going to get bigger for everybody. We'll overcome the logistics. And so I don't think it's, we had to do something because of Oklahoma and Texas. I think it's, Partially that, but I think it's more, hey, man, if the two L.A. schools think they want to be in the Big Ten, we'll take them whenever, as long as your mind is open enough to the Big Ten being in California. So if they had added Kansas and West Virginia today, that would feel like, well, we had to do something after Texas and Oklahoma. And this is, I think, such a solid move that, uh, but of course, of course, everything influences each other. We all know that. But in the end, I think that's just it. Too good to pass up, and the logistics they'll figure out. My question was like, why are you flying swimmers and tennis players and soccer players 2,000 miles away? And their answer was, you can study on planes, and you mostly play on the weekend. And we play teams on the West Coast in a lot of Olympic sports anyway, in non-conference play. And Gene said, when you go to L.A., you can go to the Guggenheim Museum. So, like, that's one of the things you could do, which is like when you go play Maryland, you can go see the Lincoln Memorial. And when you go play Rutgers, you can go to the Empire State Building. Yeah. So I I would love to win when Ohio State plays at Maryland this year, which they're scheduled to do. I'm going to ask Jerry Emig if I can get like a little media pass and tag along when the uh, when the when they take the team to the Smithsonian on Friday before the Saturday game. I'm sure that happens. Right. The Smithsonian is free, by the way. Great. I don't know if the Guggenheim Museum is free, but they said it. And I do think in a world where it's like, hey, the pandemic 
made all of us more virtual, more digital. We're not, nobody does as much stuff in person. If you can, we don't, we used to do this podcast in person. Every single time we did this podcast, we sat around a microphone together, the three of us. And now we never do it in person. And the pandemic's over. We're not afraid to breathe on each other anymore. No, but we just don't like each other. We're never going to do that. It's a pain in the butt. People used to come to my basement and we would talk about how it smells like farts. Like that, that's changed. So the idea of like, well, maybe, you know, I, I don't know what percent of Ohio State classes are now virtual or offered online as opposed to in the past. But again, the world has changed a little bit. Everybody's a little closer together. Well, at the same time, we can all be in our own worlds and communicate with each other. So I do think that's reasonable. And they said we mostly play on weekends. Gene did say, well, the, you know, like basketball is going to be tough, but it's 10 times the problem for USC and UCLA because all their road games are in the Midwest and, you know, one eighth yeah. of Ohio State's road games are going to be in California. So they basically just said, like, we'll figure it out. And again, I do think we have to keep in mind. I doubt it stays at this. I doubt it's going to be that it's an, an equally balanced schedule. I, I would imagine Ohio State is going to play. Penn State and Michigan State and Indiana and Michigan more often than they're going to play UCLA and USC and whoever else is out on the West Coast in every sport, right? You'll have divisions, whatever. So the travel wasn't a deal breaker. And so if the travel's not a deal breaker, you take these schools and you figure out the rest. But I do, it's not, I don't want to use, it's one of these things. You get in the room. This is, I mean, we'll just talk in here. We're just two guys on a podcast talking to our good friends here on Buckeye Talk. Listen, you get in a room with Christina Johnson and Gene Smith, and they seem like very well-intentioned, thoughtful people who are trying to do the best they can. They don't feel like it's all about money. They don't feel like they're swindling you, right? I mean, they're competent people at the height of their professions. But then when you leave the room, you're like, well, we all know it's all about money, right? We all know. And so, and then you say things like, oh, administrators and college athletics, all they do is they're like, you know, somebody, uh, well, I think Fran for Schiller, somebody from ESPN tweeted like the like college administrators, like the mafia, you know? And it's like, okay, well, it's, so it's one of these things. That's the whole thing about life. That's why it does help to be in the room at times and have communications with people in person because it makes it all real. But then you can't be beholden to like, oh, they're so nice. I believe everything they say. So I'm not saying I don't believe them. And I'm not saying they're lying. And I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. But you get in that room and you, you can kind of be like, well, yeah, no. Yeah, you study on the plane. Okay, good. Yeah, no, it's all make, it all makes sense. Because they, they're well-intentioned. And I do think the one thing that they didn't say, and I think is a reasonable answer is, why are you doing this to your Olympic sports? And it's like, well, the best way for those Olympic sports to continue to exist is for us to make as much money as possible on football. Right. And they didn't say that. And like football money runs everything, which allows those schools to exist. So I'm sorry if you have to study on a plane in order to exist, that's the price you pay. That actually is a borderline, I think, compelling argument. It's the only way we can fund it, especially in a world where you may end up directly paying players at some point, which is going to pull more money away from your athletic department, and you don't want to cut sports. They didn't say that. They talked about it's great opportunities. You get to go to LA. We go on the West Coast anyway. You study on a plane, and it's mostly on the weekends. But there is people, I think you can be very uh, dismissive of the money. And sometimes I am. 
again, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when this stuff was first happening, and it was like the Big Ten's going to make more money from Nebraska being in. I just said, so what? What are you going to do with it? Like, what what are you going to do with it? And they were asked today about, well, is this going to lead to a unionization of players? Is it going to be, are players going to split, have a share of the TV rights deal? And Christine M. Johnson did a very good job of like, not answering the question by answering the question. So, well, she said that they're two separate issues, but I think but, you just did a great job of, of um, clarifying why it's not, because I would not be surprised at all. If, I mean, these guys, the, all of these administrators, commissioners, they're not thinking about just what's right in front of their face. They're thinking about what's going to happen 10 years from now. And if they think they're, it's even more incentive to ratchet up those, um, the, the TV, the rights package and the income that's coming in, if you think more of it's going to have to go out. So, but, but she didn't answer it. She said, I think those are two separate issues. And it's like, right. okay, right. so then let's talk about them separately. But then we didn't talk about them separately. Right. She right. just said paying players, giving players like a cut of the TV money and unionization is two separate issues. Like, okay. But, but then she didn't answer. But it's going to be like anything else, I think, where, um, admin, you know, coaches, 80s administrators are always going to, they're going to push back and say, well, if we do that, the ramifications financially are huge, and they're going to keep saying that. They're going to keep saying that until they've positioned themselves in such a place financially where they're like, "Okay, we can do that now." No, we'll and I think, that that, and I think that, but I think that's a winning argument that I think they're afraid to make at yeah. the moment. That hey, if you think these two things should both happen at Ohio State or any major university, football players and maybe some athletes in other sports, but primarily football players because they're they're the sport that makes the most money. Football players should directly make money, not just NIL, but they should either by having a collective bargaining agreement that cuts them in on TV money or by the schools taking in all the money, but then having a process in which they pay players. If you think players should get paid and universities should fund and support as many sports as possible, to provide as many opportunities as possible to the widest swath of athletes, male and female across a broad variety of sports. If you think both those things are important, that costs a lot of money. So then, but then that rationalizes the pursuit of money at all costs, which so far we see with our eyeballs, colleges, and college sports in general, pursuing money at all costs, but yet they don't exactly present it that way. They off, they do present that we want to fund the other sports argument, but they don't present the, hey, we think we're going to have to pay them eventually because they don't want to plant that seed. They want to push that as far down the road as they can while preparing for it. While, but frankly, in the moment, if you couched this move as it's going to allow us to pay football players, it helps the argument but they can't make it because then it makes it real. And they are trying to keep it from being real for as long as possible. Like every other progress that we've had here in the last two, five, 10 years, you know what I mean? Like all of those things, NCAA institutions drag their feet on them until it was pushed to where we are over the past several minutes. You've been talking. I wrote down several things I want to comment on. I want to fly through several of them really quick Um, to give people perspective on what you're talking about, as far as the relationship between Olympic sports and the income. Put yourself in the shoes of, let's say, the Big 12 now. Once all of the dominoes fall out of this, let's say that places like 
Oregon State, Washington State have nowhere else to go but to maybe look at trying to join on to the Big 12, the smoldering ruins of the Big 12. So now you're going to have a conference that stretches again coast to coast, but with a fraction, like what, half? Half of the media rights that the Big 10 is going to have or less? Less. Less. Probably a a third maybe. Yeah. So now try to make that logistically work. You know, now you're Cincinnati and you just joined the Big 12 and now you're having to to do that kind of travel. And so, again, just think of that. It, that should be an example that helps you understand why the Big 10 felt compelled to have to go this way. Um, as far as the travel and especially relates to football, basketball is going to be a problem. We don't know yet if they're going to add other places out West. There is, though, and you brought this up on our emergency pod on Thursday. We do have the example of West Virginia and what they've had to go through in the Big 12, being this outlier and having to. And one of the things that they've done, they brought this up on the Yahoo podcast. I thought those guys did a good job um, running through some of these. And I know that they advertise with us or have. So uh, shout out to them. Um, We don't talk about other podcasts on our podcast. They've literally advertised on our podcast. I know, but they don't anymore. Okay. Well, they have to do anymore. They helped us get to this point. But anyway, they brought up that that was a problem initially for West Virginia and it's still kind of a problem, but they've done things like not had them make back-to-back road trips out to Texas schools and that sort of thing. You know what I mean? They don't have to go to Texas Tech and Baylor on back-to-back weeks because that is such a logistical problem for them. I assume the Big Ten will make some sort of accommodation, similar accommodations for UCLA and USC. It's really more a problem on their incoming East than it is for big 10 schools going West, I think um, because of the regularity with which they'll have to do it. It's a problem. It's a slight problem for fans, but again, a much huger problem for the fans out West than it is. I think, because if let's say Ohio state doesn't actually get paired up in one of these pods or whatever that they're thinking about uh, scheduling wise with UCLA or USC. So now you're only going out there once every Four to six years, well, two to three years, maybe three. Yeah, four. I, I do and, not think Ohio State will be in California right. every year. So, so then, it, it, then it becomes just like one other extra special trip that some fans are able to make in that. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't think that's going to be a big. And then, but, but in general, I just I don't think the football travel is really much of an issue because it's no, once a week on the on the on the weekends. It's, 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 it's every other sport. It is a bigger issue for UCLA and USC. So I'm sure that that's something that they will bring up. Because if you yeah. let me imagine if UCLA tried to go back-to-back weeks to Maryland and Rutgers or whatever, that would be a really big travel uh, hassle, an academic hassle, I'm sure, if you care about that. Um, and then the last thing I want to bring up, I thought it was astute that you brought up the example of Nebraska. Because as we've been I, – I, I, not all expansion is equal. And I feel like – when the when correct me if I'm wrong because I was just starting to cover Big Ten athletics uh, as Maryland and Rutgers came in, but neither of those things were seen as being the big the Big East was already on its way to where it is now, which is nowhere uh, from a football standpoint, and the ACC has has lived on beyond losing Maryland. So I didn't feel like those things were like seen as like pulling the rug out from under another league. Nebraska, though, when you look at it in retrospect, I, there seems like there probably was maybe significant damage done to the big 12 when Nebraska moved over to the big 10. And I think that's what has changed the narrative now is that this is seen in real time as man, didn't you guys just absolutely incinerate a conference when you took UCLA and USC, but nobody, I don't think anyone's thinking that it was wrong. It's almost like they think it's like, like it's almost like a sign of respect, like, man, the Big Ten came oh, to play. Certainly. Kevin Moore, yeah. like nobody is saying, like, how dare you? Yeah. 
I mean, it, that's a, it, that's another good way to put it. Like, I know that people were upset about the way that things went with the Big Ten during the pandemic. I We all had varying degrees of blame that we uh, put on Kevin Warren for that. At the very least, the messaging and the handling of the whole thing was wrong. But everyone who thought that there was no possible worst commissioner you could have, like, the big, you know, you could have been the, the conference that lost important teams instead of the one that gained them. No, I think I was reading John Wilner, again, the guy who broke this news from the Bay Area News Group. I think he said George Klevkov was like at his cabin yesterday, the Pac-12 commissioner, when this stuff I, happened. I want to. I want people to imagine. I would not have gone on our texts, our text portal, without like a hazmat suit if Kevin Warren had been like at a fishing cabin when – two teams left the big 10 to go to another conference. No. Yeah. No, he, I think really, I think, and we talked about Kevin Warren a lot yesterday. I think he legitimately would have had to resign because it's like, what are you the conference? What are you the commissioner of anymore? The big 10, as we know, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, I do think, and again, Gene Smith brought this up on Friday morning and we do want to, you know, sort of pass along the things that Gene Smith and Christina Johnson said, you know, he was joking about, Back in the day with the Big Ten Network, when the Big Ten Network was getting started, whatever it is, like 15 years ago now, 13 years ago, whatever it is, and they weren't even on all the cable carriers in Ohio, and people were worried they weren't going to be able to watch the first Ohio State game of the year, and like, what a big deal that was, and that's part of why we're here, because Larry Scott, the former commissioner of the Pac-12, a lot of his legacy is that they made a bad TV deal. And it was a long, bad deal. And they had to wait and wait and sit for that deal to run out to try to get a new, better deal. And guess what? By the time the deal ended, UCLA and USC were gone. Whereas the Big Ten launched its own network. And then Delaney on the last TV deal signed a short deal so it would come up faster. Mm -hmm. So now, and all that thing, that Big Ten network thing, that creates the alliance with Fox, that Fox is now a driving force in this, that they they were able to sort of create a world. They birthed Fox as a college football power with the alliance with the Big Ten and the Big Ten Network. Now you have a real challenger to ESPN. So you now you have two large entities that want to make money who are going at each other. That's better for college football. As we always said, ESPN's monopoly of college football is bad for college football. The Big Ten helped break that. They helped, you know, Gus and Joel wouldn't be here, man, if Jim Delaney hadn't brought in Fox as a 51% owner of the Big Ten Network. And, and where you, all that groundwork, all that groundwork is why we're here. So Jim Delaney's legacy, Jim Delaney set up the Big Ten to be able to do this, where Larry Scott helped set up the Big 12 to fall apart. And so that's... You know, I mean, we've had I've had plenty of things to criticize Jim Delaney for over the years. And a lot of the, the word disingenuous would come up with that in terms of being a forward thinker. Even again, the Rutgers and Maryland thing, I still think that's crazy in a lot of ways. But Gene Smith brought it up, right? Hey, now the Big Ten's in the three biggest TV markets, New York, L.A. and Chicago. And the reason you can say that is because you got Rutgers. Now, is it real or not? I mean, like it's a talking point. And like Rutgers didn't kill him, right? It was great for Rutgers. And actually, I think at the very worst, probably Nathan, you look at Rutgers and Maryland now, 
and it's probably neutral at the worst because sure. one of the things it did it it opened up the appetite for we're not a Midwest conference anymore. So we went to one coast. Now you went to the other. If you had never gone to Rutgers in Maryland, would you be really thinking UCLA and USC now? It opened up a new world, even if in the moment it felt like Rutgers. And I will still argue that. But it it changed the thinking, and it certainly didn't ruin anything. Well, no, yeah, it just set the precedent of, um, especially from a financial standpoint, why you would do some things. It, it set a it set the ball in motion for how the big 10 was going to operate. And that was the thing that got fractured a little bit during the pandemic, because you didn't have a, from just a, um, a, a central thought standpoint, somebody who was really bringing everybody together and, and moving forward in a deliberate way at a really crucial moment. And again, we all had varying degrees of blame. I felt some sympathy for Kevin Warren for having that dumped on his lap in, in days after he took the job or whatever, but They've repaired that. They, obviously, they repaired that because of what we have, what we saw happen this week. I will say I don't love some of the, oh, what do you have to say about Kevin Warren now? Because in life, it's okay to say when someone's not doing a good job. And then it's later okay to say now they are doing a good job. But it yeah. doesn't mean he didn't do a bad job then. I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of it, I think, was more perception. And I understood we don't have to relitigate the pandemic thing. But you try to be a leader. You try to put health and welfare first. You try to follow the science. You try to be a little bit cautious and not say football at all costs. And then it blows up in your face because nobody follows you. But the messaging at the, at the very least was really bad. It doesn't mean that wasn't bad messaging. But this is good. This is good. This is good, yeah. good job now. So there both things learned. can be true. Yeah, lessons learned from that. The fact that this was this was known to be a unanimous vote before they ever took the vote, as opposed to what was going yeah. on during the pandemic. And I do think um, we got a sense. Well, you know what? I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit more specifically about some of the things that Gene Smith and Christina Johnson said on Friday morning, particularly about the weight of the Big Ten and carrying it and how someone now can help Ohio State carry that load a little bit. And I want to talk about revenue sharing in the Big Ten and some things Gene Smith said. And then we'll get into survey results from our texters. And then at the end, we'll take some questions from our texters. But we'll do all of that after this on Buckeye Talk. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird. You can be a texter and participate in our surveys by signing up at 614-350-3315. Man, there's no football being played. There's so much. And now we're, it's July and July is conference media season. Like we're here. July is the start of the college football season. And we made it. We're in July. And like, we never really had a lull. 
because all the June, June is recruiting. May I may, may, may was maybe a little bit of a lull, but you know, there's a lot happen as the NFL draft was sort of fall out of that. Anyway, um, by the way, Nathan Baird, you getting the, uh, the, the uh, survey ready for our big cleveland.com poll of uh, big 10 writers that we always do. I had planned to spend a significant portion of today getting those emails together and sending that out. And obviously I haven't. So that's going to be something I do during 4th of July week. I, if there's anybody from, and I would like to get uh, somebody from who covers USC, UCLA or USC on the pod next week sometime. All those guys are getting slammed with stuff. There's a guy who covers UCLA who I went to college with who was a year behind me, who I might try to get on from the LA times. Um, but exciting for them, Nathan, that they get to participate in the cleveland.com big 10 poll. I mean, one of the, one of the many perks of joining the big, but for the, for the media, it, one of the bigger perks, because it's such a prestigious poll. Well, I think it was smart of them to not join until 2024. So all those media members have a full year to brace themselves for mm. the, um, the responsibility yeah. really of voting in this poll. Yeah. So again, if you know anybody uh, who covers UCLA or USC and you want to prepare them for it, that would be great. All right. One of the things that Gene Smith said, Nathan, is that, and he's talking about USC, that it's like another team that can help carry the weight or share the weight of the Big Ten. And I thought it was an interesting comment because you could look at it as Ohio State is the big dog and they don't want anybody else. They don't want another big dog. But the way that Gene Smith talked about it, it was like, bring another big dog on. That's great because we know Ohio State generates a lot of the revenue and then shares it. He's happy to have another revenue generator. And if USC wants to flex some muscles and, hey, we made the playoff and Lincoln, I, like, great. It doesn't feel like – because I do think you could view it the other way, right? That who – I think I think until this, Nathan, if you said, who will be the best football program in the Big Ten? 5, 10, 15, 20, and 25 years from now. I don't know that anybody listening to this or any other fan in the Big Ten would have given any other answer than Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State. Like, why would you? But now you can give another answer. So that's different. Football is the driver of all of this. And now we just said, if you 20 years from now, who will be the better football program? Ohio State or USC? That's a real question. But Ohio State wants that. Explain to the people what Gene Smith said and what did you think of that idea? Well, and I think just I remember not that long ago on the pod, maybe it has been a while. I don't know. It might have been one thing we talked about during the pandemic. We were talking, we, there was a lot of dynasty talk and about how rare those kinds of things really are. But the Big Ten just added someone who had a college football dynasty in the very recent future i know that usc has has backed away from that um in these past years and we've talked about the implications of that for ohio state positive implications for that for ohio state but it's there they it, it, it they've proven they can do it and it's probably just a matter of time before they do something like that again so it's it's a threat to ohio state's college big 10 football supremacy to bring usc into the same into the big 10 but I, I hear what he's saying because, as also we've talked about many times, the Ohio State is in sometimes a an enviable, but what has to be occasionally an awkward position to be the biggest dog in this conference and to have this much gravity 
and to know every time you go into one of these meetings, because we were talking about it after after we shot our videos and stuff about how there's all these cyclical arguments, right? It's like, well, the Big Ten is really strong because it has Ohio State, but Ohio State, um, it, it 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 like everything feeds off each other. It's it's, it's these chicken before the egg arguments. Yeah, and and and. So I think Ohio State goes into all of these Big Ten meetings acutely aware of those things and probably having to bite its tongue, whether that's Gene Smith, whether that's Christina M. Johnson, whether that's their predecessors, coaches, et cetera. So I think what Gene Smith, it, they would probably, it would be nice to have someone else, if I can speak, continue the thought for Gene Smith. What I heard him saying was it would be nice to have someone else in those meetings who knows what we're talking about who can share that perspective. They don't have to yep. hold that whole perspective. It's not It's not necessarily about carrying the financial burden. Some of it's just kind of carrying the identity. And that in a world, and I do think, I, I, I'll be curious in the end, some of the stuff in the pandemic that, because again, Gene Smith revisited that idea today. The Big Ten wasn't going to play. And then Nebraska and Ohio State really got mad about that. And they pushed, and then the Big Ten played. And the Pac-12 went with the Big Ten at the start and said, we're not going to play. But then they were much slower to come around. And they played like a barely half a season. And nobody in that conference really had a shot at anything. Ohio State made the national championship game. If Ohio State had been in the Pac-12, I think the Pac-12 teams played six games. Like they probably wouldn't have been able to do what they were going to do. And I think that showed... Ohio State and Nebraska pushed, and Gene Smith said, I want to play football. And Christina M. Johnson said, yes, let's play football, even in a pandemic, because we really care about football. And I think if USC and UCLA are saying, hey, the other schools in this conference don't care enough about football, I think the pandemic showed a little bit of that, right? It was a, it was a concrete example. But the Big Ten was ready to do the same thing, except it had Ohio State and Nebraska, but I don't think Nebraska could have pulled it off by itself. So, again, our cyclical thing was the Big Ten has more schools that try at football than the Pac-12 does. But one of the reasons they do is because they make more money, which allows them to spend more, which is how you show you try, because you build facilities and you pay coaches and to retain coaches and you pay assistants. They have that money because of Ohio State and Michigan. Someone tweeted me and said, hey, it's not just Ohio State, it's Michigan too. It's so much more Ohio State than Michigan, but I get the point. It's not only. Michigan is a big national brand. And I have some TV numbers I want to bring up here in a second. But Ohio State helped, and Michigan helped the Big Ten bring in money, which gives Purdue and Illinois and Minnesota money, which allows them to try harder. But USC was down. USC is in an LA market where college football is not the biggest thing. So the PAC 12 doesn't bring in as much money. So even if Washington state and Oregon state and Cal would maybe theoretically want to try as hard as Illinois and Purdue and Minnesota, they don't have as much money. So it looks like they're not trying as hard, but if you put Ohio state in the PAC 12, which would bring in more money, then maybe all of a sudden Oregon state and Washington state and Cal while bringing in more money would spend more money on football and look like they're trying harder. So USC and UCLA look at the Big Ten and say they try harder at football across the board. And it's like, is it because it's ingrained in the schools or is it just because they have more money to spend on it? So that's the thing that we got trapped in. It's like, is it like USC wants to come here because of how the Big Ten operates, but is the only reason the Big Ten operates this way is because they have Ohio State. And any 
conference outside of the SEC that had Ohio State and Michigan, if you had those two programs bringing in the money, would everyone then try hard at football because you'd have money to try with? That's our argument that I don't know that we came to a conclusion. We were walking down the sidewalk saying we're doing the podcast, walking down the sidewalk. Yeah. And again, what is, the point of, what is the point of having a human conversation if you can't turn it into content? So we stopped ourselves, but I don't think we reached a conclusion. And I'm not sure there is a conclusion, but that's what's happening here. Yeah, because I'm not sure if I believe that. Well, if, if Ohio State had gone to the Pac-12, do they bring so much eyeballs and so much revenue that it makes up what is already a big gap between those um, entities? I don't know, but it certainly it certainly guts the Big Ten's revenue. So that in in the end, and I've I've come around on this, and I and I still haven't written yet. I, I do plan to write for the weekend with my big overarching thoughts on this. I do think it's appropriate in the end that I think the two. We talked a lot about the super conferences yesterday. They're going to be based around the two parts of the country that care about college football the most. And I'm not sure it's that much more complicated than that. Because L.A. doesn't care about college football. Not like people in Ohio and Michigan do. And the Northeast doesn't care about college football. So it's the South and the Midwest. That's where college football, that's where the passions are. Now, listen, Texas, too. But Texas can't get out of its own way, so they just wound up going to the SEC. In a more competent world, there's a world where there could be a, there could have been a conference centered around Texas because there's such football passion there. But they screwed it up. But for that reason, that I think is a innate part of this that would make less sense for Ohio State to go to a conference based on the West Coast than it makes for if UCLA and USC say we really want to care about football, we're going to go to the conference where people care about football, right? Because it's just, it's not the same. So that if it's okay, it's a Midwest based conference with coastal reach and a Southern based conference, that's where the passion of college football lies. And passion means eyeballs and eyeballs means money. And that's all this is. I looked up on sports media watch. My God, what a sight it is. Ah, ah, last year, there were 15 Regular season college football games. Again, Sports Media Watch just compiles every single rating for every single college football game every weekend. It is an unbelievable site. Give them money or something. There were 15 games, Nathan, that had at least 6 million viewers for regular season college football games. Okay? By far, by far, by far, the biggest was Ohio State, Michigan. Nearly 16 million. Nearly 16 million. My threshold's more than six. This is 16 million. The only other game over 10 million was Bama Auburn the same day. And that was 10. Nobody else cracked double digits. Ohio State, Michigan did 16 million. Now, part of this is the slot you get, the network you're on, right? So they're on Fox at noon. That's not a primetime game. That's Fox. That's a big. But, you know, if you put Minnesota, Illinois or whatever on at noon on that day, it's not going to draw. It's not only the time slot. So. The teams that were involved in those games, okay, 15 games total, five of them were SEC matchups, five of them were Big Ten matchups. One was a Big 12 matchup, one was an ACC matchup, and I call it ACC because it's Notre Dame, and then three were cross-conference, cross including Ohio State-Oregon, okay? So five SEC, five Big Ten, three cross-conference national games, one Big 12, one ACC. So there's part of the picture. 
Zero right? Pac-12, except zero Pac-12. Zero Pac-12, right? So that's part of the picture. The teams that were involved in the most games, Ohio State, four of the 15 games. Alabama, Penn State, which surprised me a little bit. And Georgia, three each. Michigan, Auburn, and Florida, two each. And Florida's two games are like against Georgia and Alabama. You know, like they get. And then uh, 11 different teams were involved in one game. So that's a world where. Ohio State has more than anybody, and you see the clear divide, right, of the passions, and that's where all this starts. And this is part of what I'm going to write in the end, Nathan, is this really boils down to you guys, you listener, you, you. Why did this happen? Because of you. And because there are millions of yous, and there aren't as many yous in Oklahoma or in Oregon or in South Carolina, and there are a lot of U's in Ohio and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Minnesota and Iowa and Wisconsin, and that's why we are here, and that's intractable. So my scenario of, hey, what if Ohio State and Michigan join the Pac-12? What's intractable is the people in this part of the country really care about college football. That means eyeballs. That means money, and that's why we're here. So I do think that's an important point to make. And, and I almost think it's worth saying it might be the U's who did not attend Ohio state. Like, I think that's a, a huge factor there that this is just one of those programs that is going to have, that has a massive fan base that exceeds the alumni base that this is the, it's the, it's like the unifying team within the state and within a pretty big state, pretty fairly populous state in a way that you don't just have across all the college football, you know, I mean, every place I've lived, Illinois, Purdue, like you have that to some extent. My brother's a huge Illinois fan and calls him. We, even though he didn't go to Illinois, which kind of bothers me. And I've had some discussions with him about it, but like, there's more of that at, at Ohio state. Like this is just, it's, it's another pro team here. It has that kind of uh, widespread allegiance. And at the end of the day, that's why this is happening. You're right. They put Ohio state, Minnesota on a Thursday night last year. It drew 6.25 million viewers. It was one of the 15 highest rated games of the year. Ohio State, Minnesota on a Thursday. That's what this is. Because, listen, Ohio State, Michigan is going to be big. You know what's big? Penn State, Iowa was a big rating last year. Iowa was number two in the country. Penn State, you know what was a huge rating last year? Michigan, Michigan State was a huge rating last year. But it's not only about what you do in your big games. It's can Ohio State pull a Thursday night 6 million viewership against a middle of the pack team that's power and that's that's why this is happening and again the pack 12 has done itself no favors with its current tv deal and frankly its time zone works against them i do think there's a time zone story here nathan because you can look at you go from miami to boston college and the acc and say that's a long way but it's all one time zone mm-hmm. and you look at oklahoma and texas going to the sec but that's a lot of central time zone stuff. Austin and Tuscaloosa are in the same time zone. This is a three time zone jump. And I do think that is a, that is a part of the travel. That's a part of the TV viewership kind of stuff. One, USC fans, you're going to be playing a lot of 9 a.m. games. Like when they come, it's not like the Big Ten's going to stop playing at noon. That, I don't know that we've ever seen West Virginia – Going to Texas, that's a one time zone jump. Mm-hmm. This is a three time zone jump. I think that is a, 
I don't know that it's underrated because people realize it, but that's a huge factor in this because that's something that the Pac-12 can't control that people talk about Pac-12 after dark and that kind of thing. And it's fun, but it's 1030 at night. I'm tired. You're not going to get USC is not going to be doing Pac-12 after dark. USC is going to be playing breakfast at Wimbledon kind of stuff. You used to get up for breakfast at Wimbledon. I used to love breakfast at Wimbledon when I was a kid. Like you get up at six o'clock in the morning and they're playing tennis matches. Breakfast at Wimbledon. Yeah, breakfast. You watch. I don't watch Premier League in the morning. No, I don't want to do that. I grew up breakfast. in a bean field, man. We didn't watch. Yeah, Wimbledon. Hey, y'all want to watch some Wimbledon TV and eat straw? I know you didn't. It was in Illinois. You didn't talk like that. So uh, not far off. <laughs> so anyway, so that's that's a part of this. So the other thing is that Gene Smith talked about again. It's the same story. I repeat it because Gene talks about it so much. Gene was at Iowa State in the as the the. Pack the excuse me, the Big 12 was formed. They create this four-tiered system where there's different payouts for different teams. Texas is at the top. It's not equal. Texas all of a sudden is doing the Longhorn Network. Texas is doing its own thing within a conference structure, and it leads to the explosion of the Big 12 and Texas leaving. The idea of adding more teams to the Big Ten, it can be very difficult if you aren't bringing in enough revenue so that the pie slice doesn't get smaller for everybody, then why would they take you? Why would they take you for everybody to make less money? And it's like, well, what if you have tiered revenue? And Gene said, no. So the team that would be on top of the tiered revenue structure, the AD doesn't want it because he's seen what it can do. Gene Smith would rather lose money that have a tiered system that creates inherent inequality, which creates inherent bad feelings. So that does make it slightly, because I was thinking like, what if you bring in Oregon and Washington at 85%? Like, we'll take you, but you're not getting, you're not USC and UCLA. You're not getting a full cut. What if you bring in Virginia and North Carolina at 85%? Now, Rutgers and Maryland came in low and had to work up to it, but by the time they get up to it, it's going to be 100%. You can do that kind of thing. But in the end, he wants everybody to be equal. So I do think that – I don't know if it's a complicating factor, but it's something like that idea. I had the idea in my head of a tiered thing. Gene doesn't want it. That's not going to happen. So I wonder what that means for the future. But also, Nathan, nothing that came up today dissuaded me, and we don't need to go into my ideas about it because I said it on Thursday – about the two super leagues. We're eventually getting to that. There will be more. I think there may be more by 2024. If I had to bet right now, my bet would be the Big Ten is not adding UCLA and USC in 2024. The Big Ten is adding UCLA, USC, and other people in 2024. That would be my guess. Right now, it's purely a guess. But nothing I heard, none of the conversations I had on Friday morning dissuaded me from that long-range possibility. What else do we need to talk about from what was said Friday morning that is new that we did not cover on Thursday before we get to the survey and the questions? I mean, it's, a, it's a minor thing, but it goes into the expansion thing. Gene Smith was obviously asked about Notre Dame because that's another name that is floated out there. He is a former Notre Dame football player, a Notre Dame grad. Kevin Warren went to uh, law school, at least at Notre Dame. So there are some connections there. And, and Gene Smith is is been vocal about he wants Notre Dame to be in the Big Ten. So that's just another thing to kind of keep out there on the horizon because there are just a lot of dominoes still left to fall. But I I do, I, I think once, because I wrote a little thing today about where, where could the Big Ten go? And, you know, it's interesting that you brought up before how smart it was that the Big Ten signed a small rights deal under Delaney because that opened the door for the one they're about to sign. 
that gets out ahead of everybody and, and lets them grow. I wonder if the one that the ACC signed that in some ways seems like too long and locks things up is going to save that conference because it's harder to get out of that conference because they're, they're locked up for so long. Um, and if so, then that leaves the Big Ten potentially looking west if it wants to grow probably more than east. I do think um, there are some buyouts there that they can get out. And if it's one of those things, if you're going to make, I think it might be like a $50 million buyout, but if you're going to make $40 million more a year, so you suck it up and do the buyout for a year and get out. So again, I just don't think any of that's going to prevent this stuff. Shahanjay Haraja and I did do a, an emergency. We were going to be off this week on the College Football Survivor Show. We did a Friday pod. We went into much more detail about the two Super League idea um, that I sort of touched on on Thursday, we went into greater detail on that because we're doing that from a national perspective. You guys can go find that on the College Football Survivor Show, wherever you listen to Buckeye Talk. That is also available. That's our extra free show this week that we didn't think we were going to do. Let's get to some of our survey results because I do think this is, again, it's so valuable for us, Nathan, to know this stuff. Um, not as many people responded to this as sometimes people respond to the nitty gritty Ohio state football questions like, Hey, which player is going to have a great year? That's, that's really fun. This is a little more like homework, but we still got enough of a response. I think to get a good vibe for this, Nathan, what is your overall reaction to USC and UCLA joining the big 10? So I put this, Nathan, it's an order of from, you know, goodest to worstest. I love it. I like it. I'm neutral or I'm not sure. I dislike it or I hate it. So those are the five options. Which one do you think won our tech subscriber survey? Man, that's that's actually a pretty good spread because it's. It, I like five more than three. If we can get, because someone who's done these surveys before or created these surveys, if you can get five, that's better than three because three, the middle one always wins. Um, almost always. I'm going to say like had the most out of the five. There's a lot of enthusiasm for this. I think this is instructive. I think this is tells us something about sort of other than some travel logistics, like what a home run this is for the Big Ten. Love it, one, at 45%. Like it, 35%. Neutral, 12%. The bottom two combined, 7%. So like it or love it is 80%. Dislike it or hate it is 7%. That's how well this is going over with the dedicated, smart, loyal fan base of the biggest football program in the conference. Do you you think, take 80 to 7 uh, every day in anything. 80 sure. to 7, overwhelming. Do you think that is how enthusiastic they are to be adding these two specific teams? Do you think it is enthusiasm over because we talked about the fact that it was already going to be a billion dollars. Now it's going to be more than that. Or do you think that how much of that 80% do you think is the overriding feeling that the big 10 won this, that the big 10 did the thing here. And they're the ones kind of taking the, the mount they're on top of the mountain in college sports, at least for the time being, because they went out and, and were aggressive and progressive and got this done. So that's interesting. The next question I asked was if you like it, why do you like it? And the two oh. options I gave were, is it because the Big Ten won or is it because you like the specific additions of USC and UCLA? No, I didn't really do that. Wouldn't that be great <laughs> if I did that? 
So I'm going to give you my answer to that. I'm going to ask myself that question. Doug, what is it about it that you like the most? And I'm going to say I am. I'm going to say what I think the Texas would say. I think 78% is the Big Ten one. Uh, my team is in a conference that shivved another conference. We are, pro- we are proactive, not reactive. We are not back on our heels. We are taking care of business. And we are clearly establishing ourselves as this is the resistance to the SEC, and it's centered in the state of Ohio. And then 22% is, yeah, hey, USC, that's cool. Because I think if it was Kansas and West Virginia, I still think, I think like it. I think if it was Kansas and West Virginia, like it would win, not love it, that they still would like the progression, but you don't get as excited. So I do think the the fact that it's holy moly, it's USC. But I do think, I think it's more that, do you think that, that it's more like the Big Ten did its thing? Yes, because in the example you're bringing, so the Kansas, West Virginia example, we'd be having to explain to people like why the Big Ten did this, even though it's going to mean less money for everybody. Right. Which which wouldn't which wouldn't win. But today, Christina M. Johnson and Gene Smith are up there and they won't put numbers on it. But they kept just being like, just, OK, it it's huge. Like, it's going to be huge. Like if this ends yeah. up being closer to one and a half billion as opposed to one billion. So like it's an extra whatever that is, 30, 40 million per team over what they were already expecting to get, which is going to be huge. I mean, that you can you can do the math on that. Next question. What is your general view of what Ohio State's best path would have been in this conference expansion era? The choices, Nathan, were go independent, leave and join a different conference like the SEC, or stay in the Big Ten as the Big Ten grows. Which do you think won? I think that today after this, they'll say stay in the Big Ten. So we had, I mean, if you remember when this stuff first happened, I mean, when there was the pandemic stuff and then when the Texas, Oklahoma stuff happened, especially a year ago, 11 months ago, whatever it was now, I mean, there was definitely a push. I think in the end, it was a vocal minority, not the majority, but we did surveys on, hey, should Ohio State join the SEC? And we did a podcast on, no, they shouldn't. We actually did a podcast that was, no, they should stay and lead the resistance, which actually is what it turned out is is happening. But there was, I think it might have been more like maybe 25% of people were like, hey, jump to the SEC now, or you're going to get left behind. 97% stay in the Big Ten as it grows. 2% independent, 2% join another conference. Again, we're asking this right at the best possible point, but that's the whole point. So, because the, the, question, the question back then was stay in the Big Ten, but you didn't know if it would grow, right? Stay in the Big Ten, whatever happens. Now it's stay in the Big Ten that just added UCLA and USC, and now you're at 97 yeah, I want to bring up a point. It's it's a, it's something we were talking about earlier, but I think we can bring it back in here, which is we were talking about during the how in, during the pandemic, the the Pac-12 didn't have enough um, schools that cared about football. They had less than the the less that cared a lot about football than the Big Ten did. And the Big Ten had less than the SEC, but the Big Ten also didn't have enough either, or else they wouldn't have found themselves in the situation they were in in the first place, right? I think there's at least people yes. would look at it that way. I don't know that we feel that because at the time, I think we were somewhat sympathetic about the, the medical decisions that they were pondering, but it looks like that in retrospect, at least. So I'm really curious whether if, if they, if that was part of the vetting process for someone like Gene Smith and Christina M. Johnson or other people like them in the big 10, did they have, did they get an indication that UCLA and USC are more culturally aligned with those uh, with with Big Ten programs like themselves who would easily fit in the SEC because the Pac-12 as a whole culturally is even more more aligned with the thought that 
caused the uh, Big Ten to shut down in the first place, right? Right. No, I think that's true. And I think it's one of those things. The fact that USC and UCLA showed interest is proof of concept that they care more about football. But yes, if you were getting two universities in big markets that would be a good TV draw and were successful on the field, but eh, they kind of care about football, but not that much. I think they might be less interested. Yeah. Like, I mean, the Bay area is a, is a big market unto itself, but Cal and Stanford don't fit the same way UCLA. Yeah. And USC do. No, I think that's right. Uh, all right. True or false. No matter what happens with league expansion and realignment, Ohio state would be okay because it's Ohio state true or false. What do you think? One among our texters thinking with that, that Ohio state would be okay. No matter what true or false. True. What do you think? True. Got. 73%. Good guess. 86. So I do think in the end, again, you know, that it's going to be okay because you're Ohio State. Because as soon, wherever you are, you're marketable. Wherever you are, TV networks want to be associated with you because you are there. What do you think is the end game for conference realignment? Now, this is a little bit skewed by the fact that I am making my case for Super Leagues, that I, that I have now come around on two Super Leagues doesn't mean that people have to believe me, but no one is, happens to be making a case for, I really think there's going to be three. I really think there's going to be four, but those are the choices I gave Nathan. The end game, two major conferences, very large versions of the SEC and the Big Ten, or will it be three major conferences or will it be four major conferences? What do you think one with the Texters? Two, three, or four? I think two, probably one, just because that's been the predominant discussion here just nationally i think everyone has just resigned themselves that it's going to be two i i think three makes more sense than four four i just don't know how that's going to be uh, sustainable 56 percent said two 30 percent said three 14 percent said four that if you think i mean i guess if it's if you know if you think the pac-12 and the big 12 merge kind of in some way and the acc kind of stays status quo that's your four but i just i just don't think that's realistic i made my point on that last one as college football this is important as college football continues to change in so many ways how are you feeling now there's kind of i gave like one good answer and three kind of bad answers so it's not take that into account the first first possibility is Happy, excited, intrigued, the future is bright. So, like, change is good, right? That's an option. This one's sort of in the middle. Confused, uncertain, hopeful, but I can't keep up with it all. Like, that, uh, you know, I, I, I just mostly confused, and I guess it might be okay, but, man, it's crazy, right? That's not negative, but it's, like, kind of in the middle. And then I have wistful, sad, Wishing there wasn't so much change, longing for the good old days, which is more, you know, it's sad. It's like, oh, man, I wish it didn't change. And then there's the really mad and worried that college sports will be ruined. Like, what are you doing to my sport? Right. So of those four options, it's kind of like one good, one in between and two bad. What do you think? One, Nathan. I think probably like the confused slash hopeful that even if you see the benefits for the Big Ten and for Ohio State. Uh, your head might still be spinning because ours certainly was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And it still was a little bit this morning. 43% happy, excited, intrigued, bright future. 43% the best. Now, that means 57% not that, right? So it's, oh, we're more than half the people happy, excited, and hopeful. No, they weren't. 
but then 31% are confused and can't keep up. So that's still in the middle. The bottom two, sad and mad, 26%. So three quarters of the people aren't sad or mad. So, you know, it's not, it's not less, less than half the people are excited and happy, but only 25% are sad or mad. So I do think, I, I think that that middle ground is very reasonable for a lot of people, especially in a poll that shows up on your phone. I don't really know. I'll just say yeah. that. So, I know it's I know it's unscientific, but let's go back. Eighty percent said they loved or liked it, but some of that eighty percent had to also say that they were sad or mad. Well, but just well, a small that's true. Percentage. But but, but, but to me, that that first thing is conference realignment. This last thing is transfer portal, nil, yeah, um, conference realignment. Everything all smushed together. So I do think when you start throwing in. I, I think, right, this is, I think this is the best change for a lot of fans. NIL, they're not against it, but it's confusing. And now how is it affecting recruiting? And is Ohio State keeping up? Like, oh, my God, I don't know. Even if you think players should make money, it's, you know, NIL itself is confusing. Transfer portal, great. Players have freedom, but guys are leaving. Are you coming in? Bam, I got Georgia's best receiver, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. There's, I, I don't think people see as much of a downside. From what we're seeing from this survey, they don't see much of a downside to adding UCLA and USC. Where I do think with the other things, Nathan, even if you like NIL and Transfer Portal in theory, the downside is more obvious. And the downside is more confusing. That this is just sort of like, okay, they added these two teams. Great, let's go future is bright. So I do think that's why when you bring in everything, there's a little more confusion and some extra sadness and a little more anger, as opposed to when you're only talking about adding two California schools. And even from the perspective of conference realignment, you don't know what the next shoe to drop is going to be. So I could see some apprehension there too. You know, again, as it's probably, you know, the big 10 has now positioned itself. Ohio state has now positioned itself in a way that it's, it's not going to get kneecapped here, but, just not knowing what the next thing is going to be. Some easy uneasiness. I will say from a fan standpoint, thinking about our wonderful listeners and readers and tech subscribers, I think it's good. This thing happened in a day. Can you imagine if it, there was a John Wilner report Thursday morning? And then this happened in October. Which is again, how a lot of things were sort of happening during the pandemic. If you remember, it wasn't that quite a time frame, but there were a lot of things like it was a lot of stuff leaking out, a lot of kind of turmoil behind the scenes. And this was very crisp. You know, Gene Smith was asked today, hey, like, what was the timeline on this? When did you? He's like, well, they applied for membership Thursday morning. And we're like, yeah, all right. But come on. He's like, well, and he did. He wasn't going to spill all the beans. He did say that, you know, many programs, several had reached out in the process of the Big Ten rights negotiations to express interest in getting involved here. So, Again, these might be the first two that they it's kind of like one of those things where like a coach can always plausibly say, I haven't been offered a job because you're never offered a job that you haven't already accepted. And I think it's kind of the same thing here that like they had talked through everything before they told USC and UCLA, "Okay, go ahead and apply so we can accept it. And that process may be going on with someone else, too. And I want to give John Wilner credit for this thought uh, because he's he's been all over this. He's the he's the most comprehensive Pac-12 reporter that he covers the entire league uh, in, in a really good way. And he was saying and writing 
in something that I read. You can go find it. You know what? I should probably promote it slightly better than that because this guy's been working his butt off and uh, and he deserves credit for what he's doing. And of course, I can't find it. It's at mercurynews.com. That's his home website and paper. And I'll just tell you that the headline, and you can read it for free and then choose to subscribe if you want to. He's just really smart in how he presents stuff. Stock report. Pac-12 survival, options for Oregon and UW. The Big 12 is Hunter, Scott's legacy, and more. Sort of his notes column from uh, Friday morning. And he basically said in there that he believes the next target for the Big 10 is Notre Dame, which I think we all would agree with. And that he thinks from someone he's talked to, like Oregon and Washington aren't imminent right this second. But he thinks, and this makes sense to me, that's why I'm stealing it from him. If Notre Dame would decide to go, then all of a sudden now you can add multiple because you can't just add one, but you're talking about the next move. Okay, maybe Oregon and Washington on their own don't increase everybody's piece of the pie, but if it's Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington, and North Carolina, now Notre Dame is so big that overall you may increase everybody's piece of the pie with those four. And it gives you some geographic balance and it gives you some more cultural balance coast to coast, but that Notre Dame's power would allow you to add another one or another three along with them. And I, but that only Oregon and Washington, probably not right now that if it's Notre Dame's the next target, but if Notre Dame says yes, then you can make a package built around Notre Dame potentially, which I think is very smart. I agree with that. I kind of touched on that in the, the thing I wrote this morning, that once you get to 17, now you've got to keep building. And I also think that Oregon and Washington, unto the, you, you need a travel partner probably. And it just happens that there's a natural one right there either way, right? you got the Portland market. you got the Seattle market. Can you add just one of those on its own as kind of an outlier? I don't know. If, I think it makes a lot more sense if you give yourself four teams on the West Coast and, and help from a, a travel standpoint. And it also makes me think, though, so then what is that next team that you would, because might as well talk. I mean, that gets you to 19 if you add Notre Dame and those two. So then do you poach from the ACC or do you take one of the other um, Pac-12 schools? The one that's interesting to me because they're a, an AAU member and because if you're looking again, 10, 20 years down the road where population growth in this country is, I think Arizona might make some sense. Arizona's terrible at sports, though, especially football. Arizona can't yeah, get out of I know. They're right. horrible at football. We covered that on a Survivor show. They're horrible at football. They have nothing. They have nothing in their tradition. Yes, but Arizona, lovely. A little hot, but it's a dry heat. Saying, it's a dry heat. I'm just saying. It also seems like a place, though, that shouldn't be terrible at football necessarily. Right, but they have been forever. So you can say that. You shouldn't be this bad. And they're like, no, yes, I know, but we are, but we are. So yeah, I, and again, I, that, I, I don't love the game. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a thing you can do. I mean, if you bring in a couple ACC schools, all of a sudden you're bringing some natural rivalry for Maryland and well, Rutgers. All of a sudden, you know, it's yeah. like you're you're rounding out the conference in a lot of ways. There's a lot of options here, but I do think the reason that it's a little more reasonable is because it's not pie in the sky. It's just because now everything's crashing down. So I think it's. You have to see this as a step and not as the end game. Okay. 
we're going to get some questions from the texters. We're going to come back and answer a few of them on this topic specifically. Again, if this is not your thing, we totally get it. I saw at least one text that was like, I can't wrap my head around this stuff. I don't want to think about it anymore. Can we just talk football? And it's like, no, we, we have to keep talking about this for now. Steven is not here because we're recording this Friday afternoon. He went to Jermaine Matthews' commitment. And as you guys know by now listening to this, he committed to Ohio State. Steven has posts up as the site. He texted about it this afternoon. There is plenty of football stuff that we will talk about next week. We had to give this at least two days. And there might be more news that comes out later. We're not done talking about this. We want to talk about football, though. We do. And we're going to talk about a lot of football. Um But for now, we're going to wrap up with some questions about Big Ten realignment and expansion next on Buckeye Talk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Doug Landry is back with Nathan Baird. We used to do it more like this in the old days where uh, we didn't um, prepare as much. Nathan just came in and demanded preparation and uh, execution and a smoothness. And we were like, oh, no, we just do everything live on so we used to just pull questions out of thin air. And then we started saying, ah, we'll gather questions. Uh, we're going to gather, we're going to pull out of some, some out of thin air um, today and just run through them live as we do it. Okay. From the ninth. Say, yeah, go real ahead. quick. Uh, as far as um, best laid plans that don't come to fruition, the PAC 12 a year ago made a formal statement about not expanding. Like when, when after the Oklahoma, Texas thing happened and they just within the last 20 minutes, put out a statement saying that they were open to expanding. Oh, nice. No, like San Diego State. Come on down. Yeah. Um, Idaho. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. But again, and Shahan and I laid out a lot of things. We just, there's how it all shakes out, how the playoff shakes out. Go to the College Football Survivor Show. We had a good discussion about that. You can find it on Friday. From the 937, what does this merger do to the future premier out-of-conference games that Ohio State has scheduled? Is Ohio State really going to play Texas or Alabama or Georgia if they're already going to potentially have conference games against USC, Michigan, Penn State, and potentially Oregon or Washington? Again, Nathan, that's from the 937. I don't think this changes anything in regards to that. Do you? Not really, because um, A, you got to remember, we're not that far away from a a new playoff structure that's going to make it more uh, palatable to play a a tougher schedule. And the other thing to remember is like we said, like Ohio state is not going to play. And I did, we talked to Gene Smith about this. I can't remember if this was a conversation I was having directly with him or if it was one of the larger ones, but he was asked about this where you've got these years where they're already playing. I mean, there was the one year where they're playing both Texas and Washington, I think. Yeah. And you know, you always play Michigan and Penn state and now maybe somebody else is coming along. And then, 
so as far as the when we're talking about the alliance we're like so wait that year you're also going to play like usc and clemson and he was like no like (laughs) that's not going to happen like they're not just going to load it up like that that's the year that you play um whoever's at the bottom we used to say wake forest it's probably not fair to say wake forest anymore whoever's Mm. at the bottom of the acc georgia tech i don't know who's bad in the acc and oregon state that's years that you would have played them you know that you would have played the bad teams then but that there would be that sort of flexibility built in and i i think that'll be the same thing going forward but we just don't know what we don't know if there's gonna be divisions what the divisions will be um we don't know what then structure they're going to use so a lot of unanswered questions about but i'd be really surprised i just don't think it changes they want to play just because there's going to be this other super league or whatever, that doesn't mean they never want to play those other teams, right? That it, it's not, it, there can be interleague yeah. play, right? If, so if they people, want to play Bama and Georgia and Texas. If people are asking, are they going to end up having the, if they're going to end up backing out of the Alabama, Georgia, Texas contracts, I'd say absolutely not. I'd say absolutely not. And it's just one of those, you're going to play USC one year instead of Iowa. And you're going to play UCLA instead of Illinois. And that just is what it is. But frankly, you don't. There could be a year where Iowa is better than USC. There could be a year when Illinois is better there, than UCLA. There have been many recent years where Iowa is better than USC. It's not a hard thing to imagine. So I, I don't think it fundamentally changes. And, and if you get bigger, if you get substantially bigger and now you're 20 or 22, you're going to be so split from a division standpoint that you probably go back. I mean, honestly, right? You're going to be in pods. You're really going to play your local teams. That And it's just going to be – but I do think they want to retain the balance, which is why there remains a place for Illinois and Northwestern and Purdue and Rutgers in the Big Ten because they don't want to play a top 25 team every week. They don't want to do that. It, they, they don't think that's a way – coaches don't want to do that because they want to get wins and they don't want to get fired. And they still want to make a health and welfare argument for players, and they don't want them max – you know, they want to – have a couple patsies on the schedule. So I don't think that's, I, I would not worry at the moment about losing the, the premier national non-conference games from the five, one, three. Could Doug please provide his impression of the Rose bowl committee's emergency meeting after hearing the news. And I, I would, I can only imagine that the Rose bowl committee, because I did cover the masters for a couple of years. And I think Hootie Johnson was the master chairman who will be in charge of the press comp. Now, listen, I, I, I know you hear Stetson. Just, I know I'm trying to be a little more, uh, perhaps gobbled in my speech and a little less uh, fog home, leg home. But I'm going to imagine that someone like Hootie Johnson had moved to California at some point in the 60s to yeah. open an orange grove. And I became the longtime chairman of the Rose Bowl committee. And we are stunned and dissatisfied and we have determined that the existing Pac-12 teams will now play a member of the Mid-American Conference and the Big Ten can go shovel coal. Right. I, I think one so of the great actors of our time, one of the great actors of our time that you can seamlessly move from like Stonewall Jackson to Hootie Johnson to Stetson Bennett. And it's 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 uh, what, what range? Um. Yeah, no, yeah. I can go from one offensive Southern stereotype to a slightly different and equally offensive Southern stereotype. I am enjoying the idea. And, and again, on my list of things that I would like to comment on in this, and I, and I was thinking about writing stuff like this, but again, I have a hard time writing sometimes, is that the Rose Bowl, the fact that the Rose Bowl, with the Big Ten's backing, 
held up so much progress in the playoff world. Well, we can't do that because the Rose Bowl has a parade with pretty flowers. And for years, Jim Delaney was like, well, no, I guess we can't have the beast. We can't have the Big Ten champ play for the actual national championship because we have to go to the parade bowl. And now the Big Ten was just like, nope, dead. Just after all those years, it's like when you get killed by your bodyguard. They were the Rose Bowl's bodyguard for 50 years, and then they just turn and shot them right in the back. It's those closest to you, Nathan, you have to look out for. But it's killed. The Rose Bowl is dead as we know it. And all because all the Rose Bowl is going to be now is a playoff bowl. But thank God the Rose Bowl needed to die. So I guess maybe the Big Ten did it out of love. Did they just, it wasn't, they the shot him in the back. Killing? They just pulled the plug. My God. They Kevorkian'd it. Like it's, uh, I, I do think though that at some point, the Big Ten wasn't the first to recognize it, but it, very importantly, they weren't the last that you you just had to be the conference that wasn't making decisions based on, you know, old tradition. And for a long time they were, like you said, but it, they, it, they came to their senses eventually. And you're right. The uh, you know, RIP Rose Bowl. I mean, it'll still exist. Just people will care even less. It'll just be a regular bowl and it can be played on any day. Dear God, you can't. We're just going to play the game in that stadium. Have your parade on January 1st. But the football game in your stadium is going to be played when it makes sense for football. Hootie. From the 614. Now, this is like this. This is like a whole podcast into itself. We can do it two minutes on this, Nathan. From the 614, is Ohio State the single most important slash powerful brand in college football right now? And that's different than best team, best program. Important brand. Now, my answer is yes. We just read the TV ratings. I would say that, and, I, and I'm trying to explain this in a way, you know, like the, the thing we kept talking about is what if Ohio State left and went somewhere else? The two most important things to the Big Ten I would say in this order, I guess, are the Ohio State-Michigan game, and then second is every other game that Ohio State plays, right? Because that's yeah, because fine. that game that game draws 15 million people, which is, I mean, 50 percent more than any other game in the regular season. That game alone is so gigantic, but everything else Ohio State does is also gigantic in a way that I just don't think Bama or Clemson or Oklahoma or anybody else are, can match right now. I mean, as you already read some statistics that dispute that a little bit. Like obviously the, the Penn state, Iowa game outdrew the Ohio state Akron game or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, you're not, so it's not right. It's a little hyperbolic, right, right. but not that much because you're right that they, they just, um, they attract eyeballs and, and minds in a way that no other team in the big 10 does. So I think I would also probably vote. Yes. Yeah, and I think we can probably do – I think that's actually probably a good podcast. Let's write that down. Brand. We can draft brands because that's different than on-field success. Obviously, on-field success is a huge part of it, but it's different. And I think that could be interesting from a brand standpoint. You writing that down? Am I writing it down? You write, uh, your hand is moving. Are you writing? Brand? We'll see. Oh, when we're next Thursday, when we're like, what are we going to do for a podcast? We're both going to be like, what was the thing we said? Uh, let's do this from the nine two five. I really like the addition of USC and UCLA. 
if and only if playoffs expand, do you think the playoff expansion is on hold until the dust settles on conference expansion? So as we said, so we thought maybe it was going to happen in 23. As it stands now, there's going to be four more years. So that's 22, 23, 24, 25. Four more seasons of a four-team playoff. The plan is for Texas and Oklahoma to join the SEC in 24 and UCLA and USC to join the Big Ten in 24. So that would then be two years in 24 and 25 of a four-team playoff with these expanded conferences, right? My feeling at the moment is that we will see more expansion before 24, more realignment. And then I do think, now, again, there's some logistical things with the outs and that kind of stuff, but there was a time where the ACC and the Big Ten was part of it, and the Pac-12 put the brakes on playoff expansion. And now the ACC and the Pac-12 are suffering, and the Big Ten is fine. The Big Ten's growing even though they put the brakes on playoff expansion. I do think, Nathan, again, it's so transitional. I do think we could just have a weird two years of a four-team playoff where it's like, what, Ohio State and USC are both trying to win the Big Ten to sort of get that bid, but maybe then the other one, the Big Ten could get two teams. You know what I mean? Where for two years it could be that. Or maybe we'll see the playoff committee pushed by the conferences reevaluate and switch for 24. If everything else is changing in 2024, and I think even more could change. If everything else is changing, why wouldn't you also change the playoff and expand then? And the TV partners aren't going to hold you back on that, right? You want to take that to market. It's on ESPN right now, but if ESPN get two years of an expanded playoff in the new world, they're not going to say no to that. They're going to make more money. And then you take it to market anyway. That would be my bet that everything changes in 2024. I don't think you have to let the dust settle. I think you want all the dust to be swirling together at the same time. Yeah. I think when the ground shifts, you have to change your stance and the, the ground is shifting and is going to keep shifting. I think you're right. uh, As we head into 2024. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they did, if this did accelerate that process. From the 216, I have read about potential other college fits, and no one mentions Stanford for the Big Ten. Why are they less a viable option? They provide the Northern California market, excellent academics, and are generally great at many sports. In my mind, they seem like a better brand than Washington, sincerely, desperately seeking OSU championships. Um, I mean, it's hard because USC is a private school, and they just, you know, it's only the second private school in the Big Ten now with Northwestern. So that was a little different. So it doesn't mean you rule out Stanford as a private school. Um, They do have a lot in common with Ohio State in terms of the breadth of their athletic programs. I think that matters. The market in the Bay Area, I think, would matter. I don't know if Stanford and Cal have to go together because people said, you know, Stanford and USC are both private universities. UCLA and Cal Berkeley are both part of the California public university system. And there had been a time when people thought UCLA would never do anything without taking Cal because they're both California public universities and they just left Cal behind right now. So I don't know if you'd have to take both. I don't think anything's off the table, but when it's driven by football, Nathan, and you don't want to be beholden to too much of a recency bias, but Stanford hasn't been that good lately. Like eight, eight, that's that's true. But eight years ago, but Stan, but UCLA just got dragged along by USC Stanford. No one's going to drag Stanford. Stanford would have to be the dragger. They would have to make it on their own merits and on their own merits. I mean, I guess I could see the cultural fit 
that the Big Ten would talk about. But I just don't know if it drives the needle from a football eyeballs money standpoint the way Notre Dame or Washington or Oregon would. But by the way, like, you know who might be interested in Stanford? Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a pretty good history with Stanford. Notre Dame, like, is a good academic institution. Maybe you get Stanford in, which entices Notre Dame, which I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out, but I think it's just the football itself and the dedication to football that I think um, is where maybe they'd be falling short at the moment. Yeah, and I, Stanford's also had some kind of the things that were its identity got really hit from an athletic standpoint during the pandemic, they had to um, cut several sports at yeah. one point, they took a big financial hit. So they may not be in a place that they could stomach, even though you're going to get that payday later. I don't know if they can do the bridge payment that would get them out of the pac 12 and take a shorter payment as we're kind of speculating from the big 10 for those few years, they may not be in a position to do that. I don't know. Uh, from the six one four, do you see a point in time where a school like Ohio state is going to ask for a bigger cut? or at least get to keep a larger share of bowl revenue since they're the ones doing the heavy lifting and have been for decades. Again, from the 614, it's such a good question. And then we have our answer. And, and again, Gene, who knows what the next Ohio state athletic director may think Christina M. Johnson. It's, it's interesting to watch Gene Smith and Christina Johnson together in public. They're so deferential towards each other and complimentary. I'm not getting choked up. Like, Oh my God, it's so beautiful. I'm choking on my own spit. Excuse me. <clears throat> but they uh, seem at least, I mean, from what I've seen, and I've interacted with them a little bit behind the scenes as well as publicly, they really seem to be on the same page, you know? And so if Gene says we don't want tiered revenue, I think she would defer to him on that. Now, I, my guess is she's here longer than him because he's been here a long time. And whenever he retires, I would imagine there's a very good chance she continues to be the Ohio state president. If the next AD comes in and says, this is crazy, you know, and then now you can't just open up that can of worms, but if it's in the next round of expansion and there's a discussion, maybe the next AD would say differently, but Gene's really driving the bus on this. And again, Nathan, we have a definitive answer to this texter's question and Gene doesn't want it. Well, I don't even know right now off the top of my head. I'd have to research it. Are there any conferences currently other than the Big 12? And we he used that as an example of why it doesn't work. Any of the other major conferences doing a tiered revenue structure? Um, because it would seem to the, 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 the downfall of it seems obvious to me. And the thing about Ohio State is it's always going to have more money regardless. It, it splits all that money up evenly. And then still ends up with more money because it just is that. I mean, it's it has the yeah. stadium, it has the brand, it has all those things. So I, I I would say no. I mean, as long as Gene Smith is around, and and let's face it, there's a very good chance that whoever is Ohio State's next athletic director after Gene Smith is a protege of Gene Smith who has been here. He has kind of released these spawns across the country who are now athletic directors at other places. Some in the pack some in the Pac-12 or the former Pac-12 that's coming to the Big Ten. So um, I, I think that they would be of, of similar thought on this, or if they were to ask him, he would be candid in why he disagrees. Yeah, this might – I might jack up the chances. Not that he wouldn't have been my leading contender anyway, but on Martin Jarmond, the current UCLA athletic director, being the next athletic director at Ohio State, now that he's going to be in the Big Ten. 
Um, Kurt and the 215 asked a bunch of good questions, and I like this idea. At some point, will the Big Ten championship game get moved to the Rose Bowl? That, I think, happens. It's like, on the one hand, cram at Rose Bowl. On the other hand, do you have an availability the first Saturday in December? I bet that happens. I would bet cash yeah. money that I, that I, happens. I, I almost, when I was putting out my uh, my things they should do next, I was going to do something about the championship game, and I left it off because I kept arguing in my own head about what makes the most sense. Because on one hand, you know, a one-week turnaround and having to fill a football stadium in California full of Ohio State and Wisconsin fans seems logistically problematic but um or i mean let's it's possible that there would be some year especially if they go no divisions some year that ucla and usc are playing for the big 10 championship in in indianapolis or or your uc usc against washington i i think what they want from this would want from this but so i don't know if it would be the permanent home no no not permanent right but i think there will be a i would imagine as just as there was when the Big Ten brought in Maryland and Rutgers and you saw the Big Ten men's basketball tournament go to New York City and Washington, D.C. once each, um, I think there's going to be some factor like that in the football. So whether it alternates between a Midwest and a California or whether it's in California once every three years, but it sounds like there could be rotation in the Midwest eventually too. Yeah, there's no, you know, they they've, I think announced out into the future that it's going to be an Indy the next couple of years, but it's not, they're not tied to Indy on any long-term kind of thing. And we've sort of been waiting, like they've seemed reluctant to take it outside. So I'd, I'd be cool to see it in Cleveland. You could certainly play it in Chicago, but I do think maybe Detroit, maybe Minnesota indoor spots like that are maybe more realistic, but I, I, I could see a world Nathan where, um, the Rose Bowl every three years, every four years is just a thing they do because it would be cool and people would get into it. It would get attention. It would stamp, you know, it's one of those things they want to, they don't just want it to be like these two things hanging out there. You know, they want it to be real. They want, they want the Pac-10 to have that real West Coast feel. They want this to be legit. And that would be a great way to do it. I bet it is soon. I bet they play a Big Ten championship game within by 2026 at the latest. They join in 24, so it's 24, 25, 26. By 2026 at the latest, the Big Ten championship game will have been played in the Rose Bowl. I think you're right. I think, though, you say that they want the to have a West Coast feel, and I think that's what some people would fear because a the West Coast feel of, of um, Penn State – and Iowa playing for the Big Ten championship game in Los Angeles is going to be maybe a half-empty stadium or two-thirds or two-thirds full stadium because I was at the Big Ten championship game when it was in Washington D.C. and it was uh, very um, just boring. It was it was dull and it was mostly empty and there was no juice. Now I thought the one in New York City was actually pretty great because you had Madison Square Garden. You have a basketball presence in that city, but as you alluded to before, college football is not 
quite that on the West Coast. Maybe if USC gets it going again and gets things pumping and gets some of its own juice going, it can carry over. But I, I would, if I was a, a, a Big Ten fan, that's the thing I would kind of be worried about. That like, because right now Indianapolis is perfect for the Big Ten championship yes. game. It is so central. I know um, it, one of these years, if um, Rutgers or Maryland makes it, then it won't seem as central. But with all the actual contenders for the Big Ten championship game, it's very central. It's a great gathering place for fans that it's relatively easy for all fans to get to. Students can get there over the, the you know the break or whatever very easily. When you start talking about like cross-country drives and flights and stuff – on a short turnaround, again, you're talking about one week after you've played your last game, you don't know for sure who's playing in that game, and now you got to turn right around and do that. That is a little logistically dicey for fans. But they'll do it at least once. They will absolutely do it on occasion, and and I think you're right. I think it will probably be fairly early because it wasn't that long. Um, it was just a couple years in when when Maryland and when uh, the Big Ten Championship uh, Tournament for basketball went to D.C. and New York. From the 409, Doug, I'm curious to hear your insight on this ending with two major conferences. I want to believe you're right, but I'm struggling to see it for myself just for football. Are you envisioning a north-south makeup eventually? There are just some big programs out there who seemingly would be left in no man's land in a two-conference world currently, i.e. Clemson, Florida State, Miami, to name a few, plus a major independent like Notre Dame. My scenario sorts them into one of the two. So I would sort Clemson, Florida State, Miami into the SEC. I would sort Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington, maybe they would be included in that. Any like major big time college football program that you'd be going like, oh my gosh, they're going to be left out of the two conference world. No, they're not. If you're thinking of them, they'd be sorted in because the the, the leagues would want them. So, I, but like, like that texture just named listed four right there. I mean, it's not 20. You know, it's, there's, there's not 16. I don't think there's 12. You know, I mean, it's, 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 somewhere between like six and 12 probably that would rise to that level. But yes, I'm not excluding the obvious football powerhouses. I'm just assuming they pick one of the two and get an invite. Should the big 10 just let Clemson go to the sec or should it put up a fight? If Clemson doesn't fit from an academic standpoint, sorry, Clemson Clemson doesn't really probably fit from a cultural standpoint, but it fits from a um, major football brand standpoint, at least right now. And I guess you could also argue that maybe that it's been a recent thing that maybe doesn't survive Dabo whenever he moves on to wherever, but should that be the one where they reach outside their comfort zone and not let the sec have them and have that kind of marquee program and, and make some sort of fight to bring them in. I'd talk to him. I don't know if I'd fight for him, but I'd talk to him. I, and, and you got to work out the rest of the stuff. But again, if that's part of the package, if you're bringing in North Carolina and then you're bringing in Clemson, now you have, you know, I, I do think it has to be in twos, right? It was Rutgers and yeah. Nebraska was okay. Cause like Nebraska actually like was paired with Iowa. It's just, Iowa was already here and Penn state could come by itself because Penn state was paired with Ohio state. It's just Ohio state was already here. But when you start going, you got to go in twos, just like Noah, right? Showed us the way. Allegedly. So, so you get two, you get Rutgers in Maryland, you get UCLA and USC. That's why we're talking Oregon, Washington. Notre Dame is the exception. Just for balance, you'd have to add a second, but Notre Dame can come on its own because it's already in the footprint. But Clemson, I think you got to pair, right? So how that how that pairing would work, I think. But I, I would talk. I would talk. Um, let's see. You know what? We'll, we'll, we'll grab a couple of these and keep them. Um, and we'll talk about this more down the line. But let's... 
a few more feelings from the 530. Feelings are all over the place, even within my family. My dad grew up in the Woody era, loathing USC when we faced them in the Rose Bowl. And the idea of them being in the same conference is just plain wrong to him. Bring on the West Coast. I am all here for just driving to Corvallis to watch the Buckeyes. So, like, that's I, – I do think certainly with a lot of stuff, again, with with the world, with society, with politics, with everything, there's a generational difference here, Nathan. And I, I completely – again, I sent out a tweet on Thursday. It's like we went down to the Woody thinking there might be a press conference, and there wasn't. And then there was Friday morning. But I took a picture of the Woody statue. Could you – how would you explain this to Woody Hayes? It, would, it, it wouldn't make any sense, right? So, and, and I don't know, like, if Woody would just, like, put his foot down and be like, this is wrong, or if you say, well, this and that, at least they care about football, that kind of thing. But absolutely, if you grew up, if you were introduced to Ohio State in the Woody Hayes era, and now you're trying to wrap your head around USC and the Big Ten, I don't think you can do it. I don't know that you'll ever get there. I mean, I, I've got it in my own family. Like, my dad is 83. He was born literally in the town I grew up in, this town of 250 people, Indianola, Illinois, in, in the 30s. And he's lived there his whole you know, life, except, I guess, when he was you know, in the Army or whatever. So he's – and he's been a sports fan his whole life. So he's been – like, he he very institutionalized to the footprint of the Big Ten. And people who were, like, previously just a little bit uncomfortable or found it, like, unseemly that they're – Okay, you're grabbing Norton, Nebraska and Penn State, but, you know, at least Nebraska's like out in the cornfield and Penn State's like, you know, right there. And and then you're getting Maryland and Rutgers like, wait, what? And then now I think it's just now they probably just throw their hands up and are like, it's it, what even is it anymore? It yeah. didn't exist. It doesn't exist. We, we've just switched over. It's it's horse and buggy to to um, Lamborghini, whatever. From the 314, not so much a question. Um, that was on the survey. I'm 48 and remember the old days of college football. I'd like to hear what you guys think about the new look of college football. I miss so many of the traditions. Change for change sake isn't always good. So, you know, if I, if I could have college football in an ideal world, I would have conferences that are based on geography. I would basically have the old version of conferences, you know, Yes, have Penn State and the Big Ten, maybe have Nebraska. I get it, but have the old conferences based on geography. And then I would have all those conferences determine their champ, however they determine it. And then I would have all those conference champs go be in a playoff to have a national champion. Because the thing that I didn't like about the old days was no champ. I thought the polls, I always thought the polls were nuts. And it drove me crazy when I was a kid. And it's like, you know, sometimes you'd get a true national championship game almost by accident, but a lot of years you wouldn't. And it'd be like, oh, number one's going to play number three and number two's going to play number five. And that always drove me crazy. So like in the pursuit of a true champion, I'm willing to stomach almost anything. And I also think that the football players who put their bodies and brains on the line should get money. So in the pursuit of that, I'm willing to stomach almost anything. So if you're giving me a national champ and you're letting the players get money, those to me are the two most important things for the sport. You are losing other things. And I just think a world with a healthy Pac-12 and a healthy Big 12 and that Texas and Oklahoma never left and a healthy SEC and some version of the ACC and some version of the Big 10 and maybe you still have a Big East or whatever and you just have all those people do their thing and then the champs meet in a six or 18 playoff or whatever – I think that's the best world, but 
I also don't think this ruins it. I don't think it has to ruin it. And I understand frustration and confusion right now. We're not at the end. I don't necessarily have faith in anybody in college sports, but I think it'll be okay. It'll be different, but still good. But to me, Nathan, a sport that is regional during the year with some cross-country early matchups, right? Just like we always played. That is regional during the year with players making some money that ends with a true national championship. That's the ideal world to me. And I'd, I'm imagining there's a lot of people nodding along with that general idea. And I think it's an interesting exercise sometime. I don't know if it makes for a good podcast. It might just be an interesting thing to sit around and talk about sometime. Because right now, the Thursday's thing seems a little bit like, okay, yeah, that I don't know if it seems inevitable, but like it all makes sense in the flow of what we're doing. But like what we're about to have, if it ends up being two super conferences, it'll be worth asking, like, did we have to get here or were there decisions made? Because I I find myself a lot of times trying to, I, I see parallels in a lot of these business ventures with the only industry I've ever worked in, which is this one. And there are so many things about the way things are in newspapers, journalism, however you want to say it, that were um, forced that way because of technology, but also because of the way people in the moment responded to technology poorly led us down the wrong path. And then we've been trying to play catch up. And I think you can make the argument that a little bit of both happened probably for college sports, college football, that um, there were things, there were forces moving in a certain direction but conference commissioners, maybe individual athletic directors, um, maybe the NCAA as a whole made some poor choices along the way. And that is either hastened or um, exasperated what we have now. And that's what's going to push us towards the two conferences. I think you could look back and say, like, was there, there would be so many of them that it probably still some version of this ends up unfolding but like what could you have done through history what are like the five are there five moments through history if someone had just made a different choice you'd have a 12 team big 10 but but also an expanded playoff and also um players getting some compensation like was that ever on the table or did we have to have this i think maybe if somebody would have blown up the rose bowl 50 years ago that might have been a step we sure spent a lot of time on that oh my god that game it's lovely. I'm glad I got to cover one before. Yeah, but it, it can complete still, afterthought. You can still play a game in the stadium with a sunset. Just doesn't have to be what it was. So I do think that's actually, a, and again, there's probably a million good analogies, but the, the transformation of newspapers is is a pretty good analogy for the transformation of college football because there are some pay- people who want to read their newspaper and they don't want to read the news on their phone and they want the paper on their doorstep every day and no matter how many times you try to say, hey, but you can do this online or, hey, but now we have podcasts. They want to read the newspaper. And that is completely valid because you know what? That's what they grew up doing. And it was good. So there are people who want the Big Ten to be the Big Ten, the Woody Hayes Big Ten. And I get it. But it changed. So there are good things about the way newspapers change, but boy, was it clunky boy. Was there a lot of pain for a lot of people? Boy, did a lot of people lose jobs along the way? Boy, did we fail our readers in a lot of ways along the way. Now, as we've kind of, we're not done with this, but I do think probably the newspaper business 
is a little further along than college football is. College football is still in the muck. Right. College football is still in the part where, yeah. you know, in in two thousand, you know, in 2000, 2000, I'm covering the Philadelphia Phillies for a daily newspaper. And they're like, hey, you want a blog? And I was like, what? So, yeah. like, after I'm done doing all my work, then I get I write for free extra on this thing that people may or may not read. And they were like, yes. And I was like, that sounds awful. So that's where they are now. Right. It's like you're going to have two teams on the West Coast. What? But it'll work out. And now, I mean, we serve our readers, not just in sports, but in everything that Cleveland.com covers in a very different way than the Cleveland Plain Dealer when it was only the Plain Dealer did. It's very different. And there are a lot of people who don't like the new way. But I do think that the new way does is pretty good at it, too. We didn't, have, we didn't used to have podcasts. We didn't used to have texting. We didn't used to have stories that you could read on your phone that got updated during the day. You had to wait until the paper hit your doorstep at 5 o'clock in the morning. So I think that's college football can be that, but it's not going to be the same. So, and I get if you want it to be, because guess what? Newspapers back in the day, pretty good. Did you like reading the newspaper as a kid, Nathan? Oh, every I, I ran home to get the newspaper. Like the newspaper was awesome, but that's not where we are anymore. So we hope that podcasts and texts and digital stories are awesome too. And I think college football can still be awesome, but man, it's sure going to be different. Okay. We're going to save all the other questions we have. We're going to have recruiting to talk about in a future pod because, again, Jermaine Matthews has committed to Ohio State. Steven's covering that. Make sure you're reading his stories about it at cleveland.com slash OSU. We had a whole Marcus Freeman, Brian Hartline, which current Ohio State players might be future coaches podcast that we were planning before all this stuff broke. We'll get to that. We have some other rapid fires that we have saved from previous stuff. We'll get to that. We'll get to some of the more of the ones we didn't do on this. We have, and then we have a season coming, man. You guys know it. The season's coming. So July is the start of college football and July is here. I think we are going to have a Monday pod. I think we'll give you a pod on, I think on Monday, on the 4th of July, even maybe we'll keep it a little tight, but I think we'll give you something and then we'll get back rolling again on Tuesday for now, we appreciate you guys doing this with us. We're trying to serve you the best we can. We're not going to claim we have a hundred percent handle on everything. Texting, we'll text you any information that we get. 614-350-3315. We'll continue to write about it and break it down at cleveland.com slash OSU. And we will continue to talk about, excuse me, talk about it as warranted here on Buckeye Talk. But this is not a conference realignment podcast. This is a college football podcast about the Ohio State Buckeyes. We're going to talk some football too. For now, he's Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.